District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. All right, listeners, I have Mark Jones from the Gun Owners of America, and he is overseeing their new hunter outreach program. And we're going to talk about why the organization has decided to take an interest in encouraging hunting, what the program is all about, and how Second Amendment interests can bolster hunting in this country. So, Mark, thank you so much for joining. I'm happy to be here, Gabriella. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Could you introduce yourself and elaborate on your background? Because you have some experience in wildlife biology. Yes. Well, I I am a retired wildlife biologist. I spent almost three decades in the profession working for either a university or state agency. Uh, So I'm I'm still a certified wildlife biologist. Um, You know, my time was primarily in government government service in, in the past. Um, also a lifelong hunter, been hunting since I was a little boy. So I certainly understand hunting issues, both personally and professionally. And so when I retired, I came to work for GOA. And I kind of wear two hats for GOA. One is uh, I'm the director for legislative affairs in 10 Western states, and I, I live in Wyoming. But for, for the purposes of your podcast and your viewers, you know, I'm, I'm involved or I'm the National Hunter Outreach Director. And so Hunter Outreach is a brand new program for GOA. And, you know, I'm working to get that program off the ground. Could you explain what the program plans to prioritize and how you plan to outreach to hunters? Are you guys backing legislation, outreach efforts, hunter recruitment? What specifically are you doing to kind of appeal to that I would say demographic. Yeah, that's a great question. So we've got several goals, I guess, or you could you could call them. We want to educate and mobilize hunters to be active Second Amendment supporters. Uh, we want to recruit hunters to be politically active at the local, state, and national level. Uh, we want to combat Second Amendment apathy within the hunting community. Uh, we want to demonstrate the safe and safe and ethical use of firearms and hunting. And if you really kind of combine everything or look at the big picture, our real goal is is to get America's hunters more organized and mobilized to defend their Second Amendment rights. And and then there will also be some more hunting related issues we'll get involved with. Uh, We've already actually done that. We can talk more about this later if you want to. But, you know, there was a petition Mm -hmm. submitted by some radical groups that would have hurt hunting. And we've already worked to oppose that. So there's a number of things we're trying to do. Yeah, you are alluding to the NRDC and CBD petitions to Fish and Wildlife Service and the CDC Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We have covered that extensively here on the podcast. But yeah, I think that's largely the impetus behind the launch of the program. And what is the status of those two petitions? Have they been withdrawn? Do you guys know? I haven't really heard any update as to their status. Yeah, I talked to someone really in the know, if you will, in the system, you know, and they don't think those petitions are going anywhere right now. There's not a lot of interest from the federal government to move those right now, but that could change as you've seen with other issues happening in our country very quickly, very fast, executive action and other types of draconian 
uh, actions from our federal government, you know, that could change. So people shouldn't be complacent. But for now, those kind of seem to be on the back burner. There's not a lot of interest from the feds in pushing those any further. Interesting. Yeah. Anything can happen because they could not comment on it for a while. And then they decide one morning, Hey, we're going to rule on this or, or do this, or maybe they've been advised not to, because there could be potential blowback to such decision-making that they're considering with those two petitions. But it was interesting that they haven't even outright rejected it, which signals to those of us in conservation spaces that, okay, why are they appeasing these groups? Are they worried about blowback, about losing financial support from them because they largely donate to this administration and supporters of this administration. So maybe they're trying to toe a careful line, but it remains to be seen exactly how that is. But kind of back to the tagline of your new hunter outreach program, you basically say that the second amendment isn't about hunting, obviously. And we have a lot of anti-gun gun control supporters always try to lump the two that it's about duck hunting or something as trivial as that. And there's more to the second amendment. However, as you alluded to, hunters should care about the Second Amendment. Is it largely because of Pittman-Robertson funds and how guns and ammo largely fuel conservation funding over 50% from what I am understanding? And because they use different firearms that, you know, like rifles or AR-15s or a lot of more aesthetically scary firearms, there's a lot of overlap between the two. Why, Why do you think hunters should be more involved in the Second Amendment cause? Well, that's a great question. And yeah, and I want to make it clear, we, you know, the founders didn't write the Second Amendment because they were scared of deer. They didn't write the Second Amendment to protect hunting. Uh, But hunters should be engaged with the, you know, Second Amendment issues for for a number of reasons. And and one, I want to give you an example, and I know you're familiar with this. Um, But hunters in Australia and Great Britain were blindsided a few decades ago when those countries' politicians came after their firearms. You know, many hunters that thought that the weapons they used would never be restricted. And now what we see in those countries is that most common sporting out arms are outlawed or restricted. You know, that many of them were destroyed by those governments. Hunting has become an activity relegated to the rich who can navigate those nations' tight firearms restrictions. So the common man in, in those countries has effectively been disarmed. And I don't think American hunters should think it can't happen to them. You know, I know there's there's people, men and women that hunt with double barrel shotguns or whatever, and they, that's all they think people should have. Um, but they they really need to look at what's happened around the world and how when you give up a little bit of your rights, then the government wants to take a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. So. And I think hunters are waking up. You know, I worked a whole career in a profession where I engaged with hunters every day. And I saw hunters wake up over the course of my career to what was really going on and how some of these issues are just bigger than whatever they like to hunt. You know, they have to think about the big picture. And so I think that's one of the biggest reasons hunters need to be engaged. Their rights, whatever they like to do, might be the next thing that somebody wants to take away. That's certainly the case, what you see in many legislatures that have a certain political tilt to them. I've noticed, let's say in the states like New Mexico, New York, California, when they start to become increasingly anti-gun, they tend to become anti-hunting as well. We saw efforts for them in California 
Although they were unsuccessful to ban black bear hunting, New Mexico has banned trapping, same with New York in some instances. So a lot of states have started to incrementally attack hunting. And we had some petition here in Virginia, but thankfully it was dismissed to ban predator contests here in Virginia, which is a very, very pro-hunting state. And I think hunters are seeing if they have the ability to use certain firearms, be restricted, it could won't just stop with that particular use of a firearm. It could go towards duck hunting. It could go towards predator contests or predator hunting. And I think a lot of hunters recognize that an attack on one form could lead to an attack on all. You're absolutely correct. But I think in this country, I think most hunters still, I understand there's a debate among hunters and I'm new to hunting myself personally. So I've tried to understand that some people prefer not to use so-called high powered AR-15 rifles. Some stick to traditional shotguns. Some don't mind using AR platforms. And I think giving people the choice is perfectly okay. That's what we should continue to maintain here in this country. Because if we just did like what Australia or New Zealand does, like severely banning semi-automatic rifles, that would completely undercut at people's ability to go hunting. And I've hunted with AR-15 type guns. I've done it suppressed in Wyoming. Actually, I went to the Black Hills about a year ago and I got my first year ever actually. And I used an AR platform that was suppressed and I found it to be a super comfortable experience. There was less noise pollution. It was really comfortable. I wasn't shooting recklessly or being irresponsible in my usage. And for me as a new hunter, it was really comfortable because I like shooting AR platforms and I can shoot uh, traditional kind of more traditionally viewed guns, like a shotgun. Muzzle loaders are kind of uh, so, so for me, I didn't really have the best experience shooting them. I find them to be a little mm-hmm. more difficult to finagle, but I think if hunters are given the choice to use different platforms, they should be able to. And that's a beautiful thing we have here in the United States. But do you also think it relates to funding for conservation too? I think more people are recognizing the connection between excise taxes collected on guns and ammunition and the large percentage that goes back to habitat restoration efforts, wildlife conservation efforts, and hunter's ed. Is that also a component that you guys are trying to hone in on? Well, that that is a very complicated issue, the whole Pittman-Robertson funding issue. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, Pittman-Robertson's been around since 1937, and it has funded American conservation to a great degree. Um, and it's been partly responsible for us having, for the you know the United States having some of the nation's best wildlife populations and greatest hunting opportunities. There are a lot of Second Amendment advocates that are opposed to Pittman-Robertson because it is a tax on a on a right on a firearm. So it can get kind of the whole PR debate gets very complicated. Um, I will say this for PR, in the last decade or so, a lot of Pittman-Robertson funds have gone to fund shooting ranges, which has been a good move because it's given back to people who don't benefit from hunting-related activities. You know, for example, uh, I spoke to an urban shooter from Miami who was very happy with PR because it gave this person a place to a place to go shoot at a shooting range, even though they did not hunt. So, you know, PR is a very complicated thing. Our organization is kind of, I guess we're neutral right now on PR because it is a tax on a right, but it does provide a lot of benefit. 
advocates. So it's, it's a very gray area for Second Amendment advocates. I think we've got, if we're going to fight against, you know, um, gun control issues, there's bigger ones to fight than attacks, in my opinion. Um, so I don't know that PR is really a component of what we're, we're not bringing that into the debate right now. We're, we're more about hunters need to be engaged in protecting their rights, voting and, and you know, organizing at local, state and national levels to, to protect Second Amendment rights and other rights, you know, related to hunting. You know, as you've already mentioned, the things like the petition that tried to stop moving wildlife, you know, which would have stopped them from moving their harvest. So um, there's so many different components to hunting that need to be defended with the Second Amendment always being the number one, you know, gold standard that we've got to we've got to focus on. In your capacity as the overseer and, and director of the outreach program, are you guys going to be, are you allowed to uh, support or oppose legislation? Have you partnered with other conservation groups to combat some of these attacks on hunting as well, like the Sportsman's Alliance or some of the other established ones? We do. We do. Uh, we are trying to do that. We're, we're, and you know, our hunting program is really only about six months old, but we are in communication with some of these other groups. We're uh, probably going to try to join the um, Association of Wildlife Conservation Partners, which includes a lot of the nation's biggest pro hunting groups. Uh, we, so yes, we do intend to get involved. We will always stay true to our number one mission, which is to protect and defend the Second Amendment. So, you know, if something conflicts with that, we're going to we, we, we make take we, we reserve, reserve the right to take a position that always comes back to protecting the Second Amendment. But yes, we're going to be more involved in these issues. And, and, and we already have, you know, we, we submitted formal comments to the CDC and the Department of Interior Fish and Wildlife Service opposing the ban. And, and I know you've talked about this on your show a lot, but for those listeners that may not have heard, you know, essentially what the radical groups want to do is ban the movement of legally harvested wildlife across state lines. And so we for, we've submitted formal comments uh, you know, opposing that to the to the federal agencies, and so we're already engaged to some extent, and we 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 intend to be a lot more engaged in the future. Excellent to hear. Is there anything else you want to add about the outreach program? Anything that GOA is working on that my listeners should be aware of? Yeah, we're going to do you know a number of different things, um, and it's going to take time, of course, to build. But we would um, we're going to try to work to help hunters start local groups to work on Second Amendment and hunting issues. And we're going to try to have a volunteer program at some point. I hope that folk, and we already have GLA volunteers, but we'll we'll just transition some of this into hunting related issues where people can volunteer to get involved. And, and you know, as you know, with what we're facing in this country right now, we have to fight politically at local, state, and national levels. And so we'll also have programs where to help hunters write and call elected officials uh, to engage on these issues. And we're going to, um, I'm hoping, get more involved with the state fish and wildlife agencies with things like shooting ranges to give people more places to shoot and participate. Um, 
we're going to be involved in some charity hunts. There's an organization called Outdoor Dream Foundation. I can tell you more about that if you would like, but we're going to be involved in with that group. And that that takes children with uh, life-threatening or terminal illnesses on dream adventures. Uh, so we're going to do a lot of things. And again, we're our program's in its infancy. We've, we've you know, the sky's the limit, but we've got a lot of plans and a lot of, you know, uh, things we would like to do to engage the American hunter in protecting the Second Amendment and in protecting the hunting tradition, you know, the American hunting tradition. Something a little unrelated to your job, but I want you to answer this because you have worked in wildlife biology. You're really attuned to hunter issues. A lot of people are taking to the field and I think some people listening may be like, how can I learn how to hunt? How can I pick up hunting? What are some tips that you would recommend to new or kind of, I would say maybe uh, reintroduced or kind of lapsed hunters? So for new and lapsed hunters, what are the best tips for them to get out into the field, you think, this fall? That's a great question. And coming from a career in a state fish and wildlife agency, you know, I know that most state fish and wildlife agencies now have some type of program to try to educate or inform or train new hunters or, or lapsed hunters. And I would encourage people first to check your state fish and wildlife agency website, see what resources are there. There, there are a lot of states have turkey hunting seminars, deer hunting seminars, seminars on how to dress and process a deer, you know, the meat. Um, there's, there's a lot of programs for, for women that are specifically for women. Most, pro, most states have something there uh, because obviously in many cases, it's harder for women to break into the, the sport than men. Um, not always, but sometimes. And there's a lot of, and, and of course there's hunter, hunter safety programs or hunter, a lot of states call them hunter education programs now. Those are excellent. They're more than just gun safety. Most of them get into conservation and hunting tips. And, and I would encourage everybody to check those state agency resources out. You may go to a hunter education course. You'll meet law enforcement officers or biologists that are very knowledgeable. And that can lead to other resources that can help you. And eventually, you know, it's, it's, as a new hunter or, be, or a lapsed hunter, it's good to find a mentor if you can. Um, someone who will help you. And there are a lot of people out there willing to do that. It, it takes some work and effort sometimes to find them. And there's probably other ways too. A lot of them, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, are offering resources for new hunters too. Uh, Boone and Crockett Club, I think, offers some, some resources. National Wild Turkey Federation, Pheasants Forever, so you can get on the internet and, and research all these state agency and NGO options and find out a lot about a lot of programs that are out there that can help you in, in that regard. Where can everyone connect with you personally to learn about the new program and GOA? Where would you send them to? Well, they can go to our website um, at gunowners.org if they are you know, have specific questions, they're welcome to email me, you know, at mark.jones at gunowners.org. And I can send them information. Um, I can send them our hunter outreach brochure and some other resources we're putting together. 
so, you know, I'm happy to do that. We're, and again, I, folks will have to be patient. We're in our beginning stages of this program. So there's a lot to be done, a lot of work to be done. And, uh, but we we would love to have people check us out and send us requests for info and engage, engage us in these efforts. Cause our goal, you know, one of the things we we've said, um, According to the Fish and Wildlife, you know, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, there are 15 million licensed hunters in America. So there, there are probably quite a few million more that don't have to have licenses because they own land or their family owns land. But there are well over 15 million hunters. And if and hunters represent a powerful voting group, you know, if they would stand up together, they could really sway American politics in a positive way. Excellent. Yes, we'll be sure to reference those in the show notes and direct everyone to connect with you individually, the organization across social media, and we will keep tabs on all updates. Thank you, Mark, so much for coming on District of Conservation. I hope people check out the program and we appreciate your efforts. Thank you. Hey, thank you very much, Gabriella, for having me on and um, hope to talk to you, you know, again in the future. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes, and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds, all of the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. I get a lot of requests and my schedule is also quite busy. So you'll see guests come from me. And I'm, but like I said, I'm always open to different guests coming on the show. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.